If you have a Bible, go ahead and take it and turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. You may remember the scene from last week. If you don't, I'll refresh your memory. Remember the the crowd was increasing around Jesus. It says so much so in verse 1 of chapter 12 that, um, that they were trampling one another. There's a huge crowd around Jesus, and Jesus turns to his disciples and gives them a, a teaching about the, the coming revelation, the coming judgment when everything is going to be revealed, and he tells them they need to fear and they need to not fear. It's a very weighty teaching, and you can just imagine all the people around Jesus, and as he's speaking to the disciples and others are, are hearing him, it's a, it's a sobering word. Um, and in the midst of that, all the, the crowd gathered around, there comes this man with a personal issue about his money and his possessions. And he comes and he asks Jesus to take his side in an argument that he's having with his brother. So imagine the scene, the throngs are there, Jesus just had this really deep teaching about the coming day of Revelation. And in, in verse 13 of Luke 12 it says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. <laughs> this kind of seems out of left field, doesn't it? That Jesus has been focusing on this coming day of revelation, and this guy comes, sort of works his way to the front, and just says, Hey, Jesus, can you solve this dispute between my brother and I, and actually not just solve it, but will you be on my side? Money and possessions and and things, they are always on our mind. <laughs> They're the, the source of of some real happiness. They are the source of some apparent pleasure. But they're also the source of a lot of pain and anger, stress, anxiety. If you're here today, no doubt money or the lack of money has influenced the way that you have thought or acted this week. You either went to work or you looked for a job. <laughs> you, you Maybe you, you bought a gift for someone, or you asked someone for some help. There are people around this world today that, that won the lottery last week, or they bought a new car, or they bought their first house. And there are people this past week that declared bankruptcy, or people that um, filed for divorce because of issues with money, or even people that were killed over money. And then there's all of us kind of in between. Those of us that are just kind of trying to pay the bills and make sure we don't overdraft our debit account, right? And, and, and money, it, 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 whether you have it or you don't, it influences so much about what we do, how we think. Um, it surrounds us. And so it makes sense that the Bible is going to say something about money. Jesus talked about money, people say, more than almost anything else that he talked about. He spoke about money because money and possessions, they surround us and they influence us. And it's something that we as followers of Jesus need to understand. We need to know how to act when we have money and when we don't have money. In other words, we need to know how to act when we have enough money at the end of the month. And we need to know how to act when we have too much month at the end of our money, right? Go back to this guy. He comes and he says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He's come to Jesus with with conviction, with a determined purpose. He says, I deserve this inheritance, Jesus, and you need to help make sure that I get it. 
This wouldn't have been uncommon. People came to rabbis, to teachers, and asked them to settle these kinds of disputes. Uh, and often rabbis would have mediated in these sort of situations. But what's Jesus' response? It's a question in verse 14. He says to the man, Jesus says, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator, meaning a, a divider over you? Who put me in that position? Well, the answer in part is that the guy did. I mean, he's the one that came and asked for this. Of course, he did it without his brother knowing, obviously, because he's saying, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Side with me on this issue. Well, what is Jesus' question getting at? The the issue is that that Jesus is is saying, this isn't what I'm about. I'm not like the other rabbis and the other teachers. I, I didn't come to deal with earthly disputes. I came to proclaim the kingdom of God. He says, I'm not here to settle inheritance battles. I'm here to do battle with, with sin and Satan. This is not my concern. It's, it's not anything that I'm really worried about. Jesus is more concerned about our hearts and our souls than he is about how much money is in our wallets. The only reason that he's concerned about what's in our wallets or how we use our money or what possessions we have is what they reveal about our hearts. Because how we use money, how we think about money, it, it reveals something about our hearts. But we're just going to look at verses 13 through 21 this morning, but the whole context goes down to, to verse 34. Um, and we need to understand the full context to, to get what's going on here. So Jesus is going to address two main responses to money, to whether you have money or you don't have money. How do we react to money? And the first one is that we have a a covetous confidence in money and possessions. And the, the main idea today is going to be be on guard, guard against a covetous confidence in money and possessions. Next week, we're going to think about anxiety and worry about money. because that's the, that's the other main response, an anxious agonizing over money and possessions. So that's next week. So if you worry about money all the time, then be here next week. But today, we're talking about this covetous confidence in money and possession. And in, both, in response to both of these things, he, he, Jesus drills down and gets to the heart of the issue, which is what he always does. And that's, that's why the key verse, I think, for this passage is verse 34 of Luke 12. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's something to memorize, something to meditate on. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So our hearts follow our treasure. So in other words, if if we love money, then that's going to be where our hearts and our, our main desires of life go towards. We start, we just, we think about money all the time. It, it consumes who we are because that's what we treasure. And so our hearts and everything about us goes to that place. If we love money or the things that, that money can buy, then that's what we rest in. We, we will sin to get money or we will sin if we don't get money. We'll sin to get possessions or we'll sin if we don't have the possessions that we want. We'll be consumed with things like cars and clothes and houses and a million other things. That's what, that's what our hearts are always thinking about. But, but if we treasure, we're going to see if we treasure God and His kingdom, then it's going to change the way that we think about money. So what do you love? Where is your, your heart? What is the treasure of your heart? Whether you have money or not, you have a perspective on money and possessions. You don't have to be rich or poor to think about either of these things. 
When you think about money, something's going on deep in your soul. We're all prone to this first issue of greed and, and coveting. I see it in my heart when I when I walk or drive through a nice neighborhood with, with big houses. And I think, it would be nice to have that. You know, life would be a lot easier if I had that house. I mean, things would just be better. I told you before, I avoid the mall, because if I go to the mall, I just see all these things that I don't have, and I never thought I really needed, but when I'm at the mall, I think, well, I really think I need that. And I want that thing, because I see it, and I think, ah, I think I want that. I see smiles and nodding, so I think maybe you track it. I mean, we all feel this. We all have this, this, this greed and this coveting, this desire for things, and Jesus warns us to guard against a covetous confidence in money and possessions. Let, let's read the whole passage here, starting in, in Luke um, 12, verse 13. I'm going to read 13 through 21, and actually we're going to jump down to verse 32 and read 32 to 34 as well. But Luke 12, beginning in verse 13, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And Jesus said to them, Take care. And be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I love that phrase. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Then he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns. And build larger ones, and I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Look at verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So we've noticed that Jesus has, has no desire to determine who gets this guy's money. Who gets this inheritance? But what he is concerned about is exposing the desire of this man's heart and showing it to the crowd so that they can see it in their own hearts and so that we can see it in our hearts and then telling us, beware, guard against a covetous confidence in money and possessions. Because Jesus knew this man's heart. That's the main issue that's going on. He knows this man's heart, that it's it's full of greed and, and covetousness and a desire for money and, and things, which is why he gives us that warning in verse 15. Take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness or all kinds of greed. But one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Would you agree that in our culture money is a god of sorts? It's something that we are prone to worship, something that we will sacrifice to or to get. Something we desire, we put our trust in. We can see this love for money in different ways. I think one of the, the main ways you can see it is the what people sing about. What songs, what do people talk about in songs? What's the main subject of songs? Well, it's, it's mostly romantic love. But number two might be money. 
Lots of songs about money. I always think it's ironic, I think, about, about the Beatles. They sang about money. They had a song called, they said, I, I don't care too much for money. Money can't buy me love. And then they had another song that said, the best things in life are free, but you can give them to the birds and bees. I want money. <laughs> They're a little divided on that whole issue. I think maybe the first song was earlier in their career, and then they got some money. And they said, I want money. But we see that too, not just back then, but, but now people sing about money. They talk about how much money they have. They talk about the money that they want, the things that they desire. You see it in the way that we talk about people, this, this worship for money, in that we talk about the worth of someone. You talk about someone's net worth. What, what makes up their net worth? It's, it's their possessions. It's, it's how much money they, they make. We, we, we talk about that. Think about this. That someone can define your worth based on how much money you have and how many possessions that you have. That's, that's how people will define how much you are, are worth. But this was true in Jesus' time as well. It's not just true in ours. And that's why he drills down deep and he forces us to ask hard questions. He, he, in this passage, he's going to make us say things like, what does your life consist of? What are you investing in? What are you seeking after? What is your treasure? Those are the kind of questions that Jesus is really getting at. What are you investing in? What are you seeking after? What do you treasure? What is your life consist of and if we are tempted to say that what makes up our life is possessions or money then Jesus is quick to point out that our lives do not consist in what we have he says that so clear one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions you can begin to fall into this trap of believing the lie that whoever dies with the most toys wins have you heard that before And Jesus says, no, that's the exact opposite. One's life does not consist in the amount of possessions that he has. If we treasure things in our lives, it's going to, treasure things and possessions in our hearts, it's going to show up in our lives. If if we have money, if if you have money, the way it's, that covetousness is going to show up is you're just going to buy lots of stuff. You're going to buy things. You're going to seek satisfaction and contentment in the accumulation of stuff. But maybe you don't have money. If you don't have money, you can still be someone that's filled with covetousness. 1 Timothy 6.10 doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. What does it say? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's the love of money. You may, as they say, not have two nickels to rub together, but you still might have a heart that's filled with covetousness and, and greed. I don't need money to want the big house. I don't need money to walk through the mall and desire those things. It's just, it's there. And often covetousness shows up without, we want the money and we don't want to work for it, actually. Isn't that what this guy wants? Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, because that means free money without work. I don't even have to work for it. I just I want the money. That's what I want. I don't want the hard work that goes along with it. That's part of the issue with covetousness. He wants an inheritance. He's not asking Jesus to be a reference for him on his job application. You know, we want to be rich, and we want it to happen quickly. But Jesus tells us all. He says, beware. Don't fall into this lie of believing that life is made up of the things that you have. And he's really clear. He tells a parable. It's, it's a wonderful story that shows us that life is not made up of the possessions that we have. That, that if we put confidence in things, we are fools, he says. 
I, I think that's 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 what, exactly what he says. You are a fool if you think this way. So you look at the story. It says in verse 16, he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. So get the picture. This is a guy who is rich. He's, he doesn't get rich. He already is rich. So he has money. And then he has a crop that, that adds to his wealth even more. So he has way more than enough. And so he asks himself the question, what shall I do? It's the ultimate question. Because at this point, he really hasn't done anything wrong. He, he's been blessed by God. He, he has money. He's rich. And then he gets even more money. So he's even richer. And, and, and now he's faced with a dilemma. Now, what do I do? Well, what does he do? Holds on to it all. <laughs> says, I'm going to tear it. My barns aren't big enough. I need bigger barns because this is all my grain. You, you notice that it's this, it's very self-centered, this whole thing. He talks about my, uh, my barns and my goods and my grain and my soul. It's, it's all about him, me, and I. And, and, and he gets it all. I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat. Drink. Be merry. Now, before we start judging this guy, isn't that what we all want? Relax. Eat. Drink. Be merry. I mean, that's what we, we long for. We, we desire to just have, let's just have some time of relaxing. And, and, and if we listen to our culture, it's going to tell you that, that that's actually, that's what you deserve. Uh, if you go to Nord's Bakery this week and you buy a donut, you're going to walk out with a bag. You know what it says on the front? You deserve a donut. <laughs> that's what it says. You, and don't you? I mean, don't we deserve so many things? That's, that's the mantra of cultures. You deserve this. You, you deserve to have these things. R- riches and, and, and ease and money and possessions, they're not simply a desire in our culture, but they are considered a right. We're not just a materialistic culture, but we, in fact, have become a culture that's based on entitlement. It's not just that I want these things, it's that I'm entitled to them. Well, that person has a nicer phone than me. Well, they, maybe they have a better job than me and they work harder than me, but I still deserve to have as nice a phone as, as they have. Or she went on this vacation. Well, I deserve to go on a vacation. I work as hard as she does. So it's, it's not just that we are materialistic, but that we think that we are entitled to these things. We've bought into this lie that we deserve them. So then it becomes something where it's not just unfortunate that I don't have these things, but but I can get angry about it, because that's rightfully mine. I, I deserve these things. But 1 Timothy 6.10 is about the love of money, but 1 Timothy 6.9 is helpful too. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Just it says those who desire to be rich, not not even they're not even rich. They just want to be rich, and it, and if we are filled with covetousness, it's going to lead to temptation, a snare, senseless and harmful desires that will plunge us into ruin. So this is in this guy's heart, even before he has the money to do anything about it. But then when he has the money, that's what he does. It's self-centered. It's all about me. 
that Jesus, though, then brings this idea of the coming judgment back in. You remember we talked about this day of revealing. And, and he says, and the, the guy says to his soul, you're, you're good to go. He puts his confidence in the things that he has. He says, I'm, I'm set for life. And God says, you fool. You fool, because tonight your soul is required of you. And now what are you going to do? He, he says there, he says, who's going to, um, whose will they be? We read from Ecclesiastes. One of the things Ecclesiastes that Solomon continually brings out is, we work so hard for all these things and then I die. And who gets it? And he essentially says, some joker that's just going to use it for things that I didn't want him to use it for anyways. <laughs> so you work so hard to get all this stuff and then you die. Well, whose is it then? Probably someone who's irresponsible, someone who didn't work for it. You give it to them, and they don't know how to deal with it, and so they lose it all. Either that or your family fights over it. So what's the point of all this, he says? Solomon really struggled with a lot of that. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying it matters in this life only, and really it doesn't even matter in this life. This idea of the coming judgment. So Jesus says riches in the present are of no value in the future kingdom. Riches in the present are of no value in the future kingdom. To think that material wealth now is going to lead to eternal life later, Jesus says, you're a fool. If you think that because you have money now, because you're set now, that you're set for eternal life, you're a fool, Jesus says. Imagine going to Chuck E. Cheese. I don't know when the last time you were at Chuck E. Cheese was, but... I go sometimes. Um, imagine you go to Chuck E. Cheese and you, you plug the quarters in and you play the games. You know, you do Fruit Ninja and Skee Ball and the basketball game. And, I mean, you load up on tickets. I mean, you've got tons of tickets. You're there for the whole day. You take all those tickets, man, just arms full of tickets, and you go across the street to the car dealership and you say, what kind of a car can I get with all these tickets? They say, absolutely nothing. Those tickets aren't any good here. You can't buy anything with those tickets at this car dealership. What can you get with those tickets? A whole bunch of junk over at Chuck E. Cheese, right? And that's, isn't that a picture of what life is like? We invest and we, we're trying to get all this stuff, and what do we get? We get a bunch of stuff that, that breaks in two days and doesn't really last at all. It's, it's, it's silliness. And, and then if you try to take it somewhere to a place where you can get something of true value, of real value... It's not worth anything. You know, sometimes in life, when, when we're trying to get money all the time, you know what it's like? It's like plugging quarters into Chuck E. Cheese games, and we're getting all this money, we're getting all this stuff, and it doesn't really matter. And Jesus says, if that's what you concentrate on, is getting all of that stuff, then on the last day, whatever you have, it's not worth anything in the heavenly kingdom. Chuck E. Cheese tickets are no good at a car dealership. And in the same way, money and wealth and possessions will get you nothing on the final judgment. That's a, it's a sobering story. Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? The parable then, again, is this warning against a covetous confidence. Not just that you want it but that you put your confidence in it, that you put your security in it. Notice he's talking to his soul. Isn't that interesting in verse 19? There's, there's an emphasis on soul in these last few verses. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. We get mixed up. We start to mesh our, our, our earthly 
life with our soul and we think that they they go together and that they, they match. No, there's, there's things that are valuable for the soul but that aren't valuable for... Um, there's things that that are valuable in this life, but they have no value for your soul. Jesus says it this way in Mark 8.36, What does it profit a person if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? I'll tell you what it profits him. A whole bunch of nothing. It doesn't profit you at all to get everything in this life, to get the most toys. You may win this life, but in the next, it's not worth anything. What do we really need when we stand before the judgment? We don't need a bunch of stuff. We need Jesus. We need Jesus and His blood and His righteousness. We need Christ who died to cleanse us from our sins, sins like covetousness. We need Jesus to come and to cleanse us. And not only that, but we need His righteousness. That's what's valuable in the heavenly kingdom is the righteousness of Christ. You can't bring money and possessions and place them before God and think you'll get into heaven, but we can come with faith in Jesus. Faith in who He is, what He has accomplished through His death and resurrection. That will get you eternal life in heaven. We don't need money and possessions. We need Christ. So here's the question I have. The, the, the end of the passage says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself. So it's it's self-centered, right? That's kind of what we're getting at. It's coveting. It's confidence in those things. It's all about me and what I want. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not, what? Rich toward God. What does that look like? Because that's the opposite, right? We don't want to be like this guy. And this guy is the one who lays up treasure for himself and thinks that his life consists in the abundance of his possessions. So what is it to be rich towards God? Well, I know it's not that. (laughs) I know it's not laying up earthly treasures. So what does it mean to be rich towards God? Let's answer that question by asking another question. Go to verse 16. And he told them the parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? So there's the dividing point again, right? How can he answer the question that he's asking himself in a way that makes him rich towards God? Does that make sense? So he hasn't done anything wrong at this point. It's it's from verse 18 on that we start to see him loving things. So how can he, with all his possessions in that moment, not lay up treasures for himself, but be rich towards God? What shall I do, he says. And maybe you're in that situation. You know, we... We in American culture are rich. We we are some of the richest people in the world right now. Even if you think that you're poor, you're probably pretty rich compared to most of the other. And that's not true for everyone. But for the most part, for us, we're doing okay. And so if we have things, we're in the position of this guy, what do we need to do? What should we do as a follower of Jesus? How do we answer this question? And I think the answer for how to be rich towards God is actually found in verses 32 through 34. So look at 32 and 30 through 34 again. He says, Jesus says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. 
What does it look like to be rich towards God? How, how do we guard against a covetous confidence in things? We're rich towards God. And how are we rich towards God? I think verse 32 tells us that we are rich towards God by treasuring His kingdom above our own. We're rich towards God by treasuring His kingdom above our own. What did this guy love? He loved himself. He loved his own little kingdom that he had, that he built. And no one knows who this guy is anymore. Now, he's fictional, but even if he was real, no one knows about this guy's barns that he had, that he built up and stored all his grain. He's nothing. So, to be rich towards God is to treasure Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of God, above our own kingdom. We get caught in this trap of thinking that our kingdom and the things that we want and our desire is to relax, eat, drink, be merry, that that's what it's really all about. That's just our kingdom. Be rich towards God means that we treasure His kingdom. So that's the question. Do you treasure your kingdom or God's kingdom? Do you treasure your desires or the desires of God? Do you want to be glorified or do you prefer that God be glorified? Are you seeking rest now or are you seeking rest later? So we're rich towards God by treasuring His kingdom. We're going to talk about that more next time. But I think verse 33 is is the, the key that unlocks this for me. How are you rich towards God? You're rich towards God by being rich towards others. <laughs> We're rich towards God by being rich towards others. Now, I think that flows from treasuring God's kingdom above our own. But he says here, I think the question that we asked of verse 16 and 17, the man says, what shall I do? Jesus says, here's what you should do. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. That's what he should have done. If he wanted to honor God, he should have taken all this extra grain that he had that he didn't need and sold it instead of trying to hoard it. If he would have sold it, taken the money and given to the... Now, he was doing okay, right? This guy was rich beforehand. He's doing fine. But he wants more. He's got this covetous nature. So instead of holding on to it, he should have sold it. And then it says, and you will provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Remember, this guy dies, and, and what is he going to do with all his wealth? He, he can do nothing with it. It's gone. But Jesus says, if he would have sold it and given the proceeds to the needy, then, then he would have had money bags that don't grow old and treasure in heaven that will not fail and no one could steal it and no moth could destroy it. It's treasure that is eternal, that will last forever, that no one could have taken away from him. Isn't that interesting? Now, that's rich towards others though, isn't it? How is that being rich towards God? How is being rich towards others being rich towards God? Well, doesn't Jesus say that, remember the sheep and the goats that are brought before Jesus? And there's those that, that, that helped the needy and those that didn't. And Jesus says, blessed are you that, that, that served, because when I, was, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. And they all stand and they say, Lord, when did we do that? When did we help you? We, we don't remember that. And then he says what? And as much as you have done it unto the least of these, my brothers, what? You did it to me. How are you rich towards God? By being rich to others. And when we are rich towards others, we are being rich towards God. 
coveting. It wants to grab our hearts. It wants to hold on to us and say, this is where your confidence is. This is where your security is. And so what we want to do is we want to tear down our barns and build bigger ones. We want to find ways to hold on to everything that we have. And Jesus says, if you do that, you're a fool. You're a fool because on the last day you can't bring any of that with you and none of it has anything to do with your eternal standing before me. I'll tell you what to do, he says. Sell all that stuff and give to the poor. That's how you can be rich towards God. I I don't think, obviously, that Jesus is saying sell everything because then if we sell everything and give it to the poor, then... I mean, wouldn't we all eventually be poor if we're all just kind of selling everything that we have? There's a balance here that we have to figure out. But but the balance at least has to start that if we are rich and we have more, that we just don't hold on to it. We find ways to give it away. And, and again, this is something that, that the Spirit's going to have to teach us all. But I don't think that we should take it lightly when it says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. When Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the needy, you know what I think he means? I think he means we should sell our possessions and give to the needy. Isn't that interesting? We want to make this something really complicated. I think it means to sell your possessions and give to the needy. You might have stuff that you don't need, and you can sell it. And not just so that you can keep it, so that you have more stuff. Well, I don't have room for this, but I've got room for cash in my bank account, so I'll have a big garage sale. I'm not saying anything against garage sale. Just saying that, that maybe we need to think, if we have excess stuff that we don't need, that maybe what we need to do is sell that and give it to the needy. If we have excess money that we don't need at the moment, maybe we can find a way to give that to the needy. Again, there's this, there's this balance, and we need to let the Spirit of God teach us. But don't, don't blunt the sharp edges of Scripture. Let it, let it cut a little bit. It's supposed to. It's supposed to, to be a little bit difficult to hear. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. But it's, it's not totally painful, is it? Because <laughs> you're providing for yourselves money bags that don't run out. And you're, you're providing for yourself treasure in heaven where nothing will fail, where, where, where no thief approaches, no, no moth will come in and destroy. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So where is your treasure? What do you love? You love money. You love things. That's where your heart's going to go. I'm telling you, though, if you love things on the last day, Jesus will say, you fool, you invested all your time in gathering these things. And it doesn't matter for anything. But if we would invest in, in being rich towards God by, by loving and treasuring his kingdom and, and by giving and being rich towards others, then we will have treasure in heaven. I want to read to you a part of a book. Um, this book's called Don't Waste Your Life. Maybe some of you have read this. I heard the sermon before I read the book, and it still rings in my ears. I still have the CD. Um, I think I downloaded the MP3, too. But um, he says this. If, you, if you've heard the sermon, this is how John Piper opens it. But I think it just shows us this picture, this dichotomy. And so I want to kind of close with this. He says... In April 2000, Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon, West Africa. Ruby was over 80. Single all her life, she poured it out for one great thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the unreached, the poor, and the sick. Laura was known um, uh, Laura was a widow, a medical doctor, pushing 80 years old, and serving at Ruby's side in Cameroon. 
They were driving in Cameroon, and Piper says the brakes failed, the car went over a cliff, and they were both killed instantly. Two ladies, almost 80 years old. I asked my congregation, Piper says, what was that a tragedy? Two lives driven by one passion, namely to be spent in unheralded service to the perishing poor for the glory of Jesus Christ. Even two decades after most of their American counterparts had retired to throw away their lives on trifles. No, no that is not a tragedy, he says. This, that is glory. These lives were not wasted and these lives were not lost. He quotes Mark 8.35, whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And he says, I'll tell you what a tragedy is. I will show you how to waste your life. Consider a story from the February 1998 edition of Reader's Digest, which tells about a couple who took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. At first when I read it, I thought it might be a joke, a spoof on the American dream, but it wasn't. Tragically, this was the dream. Come to the end of your life, your one and only precious God-given life, and let the last great work of your life before you give an account to your Creator be this, playing softball and collecting shells. Picture them before Christ at the great day of judgment. Look, Lord, see my shells? That is a tragedy. People today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. Over against that, I put my protest. Don't buy it. Don't waste your life. I think in part that's what Jesus is saying here. Don't don't waste your life. Don't waste your life collecting things. He talks about retirement in here, and he talks about owning a boat. I'm not saying those things are that, that this is that's the application. Therefore, you should never buy a boat. But but rather to say, don't waste your life on don't don't think that that's where your confidence lies. Don't find your hope in that, or even seeking after that, because in the end, God will say to us, if that's what we're hoping for eternity on, He will say, you fool, that that, that has no bearing before me now. And if we are His followers, and that's what we slowly invest our lives in, He will say, why did you invest in those things? You should have been rich towards me. You should have treasured my kingdom and been rich towards others. Let's take a moment of silence and reflect on this. Uh, again, I just I want I want to I think the word is meant to stab us a little bit, to hurt a little bit here, but I trust that the spirit is going to apply it in the specific ways that we need to. Where is just as as we bow our heads and, and close our eyes for this moment of silence, I just want you to, to think about where is the, the covetousness in my life? Where, where's all this form, these forms of greed that I see in me that maybe are growing? And then to ask also, is my confidence in, in anything but Christ? Is it in something else? And then also to ask, am I being rich towards God? Do I treasure His kingdom? Do I, do I give to others? And in what ways do I need to grow in that? Let's take a moment of silence and, and think on those things. Lord God, we confess that we are often deceived into thinking that the things of this earth are what are truly going to make us happy. We confess that we put confidence in possessions that we think our life is made up of the things that we own, or the money in our bank account. 
But teach us how to be rich towards you. Teach us how to treasure your kingdom and your glory above our own. Teach us how to be rich towards others. But if, if, if there's a hard word that we need to hear, I pray you would continue to press into our hearts and tell us what that is. And Lord, that you would even just reveal to us where our treasure is in small ways or in large ways and that we would find our treasure in Christ alone. But thank you for this hope that we can stand before you and we can come with, with hands that are completely empty. And we will stand before you and, and we won't try to show you all the things that we've earned with our money or through our hard work. We'll stand before you empty and we will plead Christ and his blood and his righteousness alone. And then you will allow us into your kingdom based on his merits and not our own. So Lord, we thank you for this word. It's hard to hear that we can be foolish and that we are fools at time, but it's good. We thank you for your kindness to us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.